When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, Lieutenant, where exactly were you? Well, we, thank you, started up on his six when he pulled through the clouds and then I moved in above him. Well, if you were directly above him, how could you see him? Because I was inverted. Wilson! <coughs> no, he was, man. It was a really great move. He was inverted. You were in a 4G inverted dive with the MiG-28? Yes, ma'am. At what range? No, about two meters. Well, it's actually about one and a half, I think. It was one and a half. I've got a great Polaroid of it. And he's, he's right there. Must be one it and a half. It was a nice picture. It was a nice picture. Lieutenant. What were you doing there? <laughs> Communicating. Communicating. Keeping up foreign relations. Hello movie viewers and movie lovers. My name is Tim Williams and I'm the creator and host of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. We talk about all the great and sometimes not so great movies from the 1980s. From blockbusters to cult classics to lesser known treasures we discovered on cable TV or the now defunct video rental stores from our childhood. No matter which flick we choose for each episode, we'll have a lot of fun sharing our memories, discussing our favorite scenes, and even learning some behind-the-scenes stories about the cast and crew along the way. So let's jump right into today's episode. Thanks for listening. When hit movie producer Jerry Bruckheimer was casually flipping through California Magazine in 1983, he was suddenly struck by an image. It was a picture of a fighter pilot's helmet with a plane reflected in the visor. Staring at the page, Bruckheimer couldn't escape one thought. He said it looked like Star Wars on Earth. That magazine picture and its accompanying article set into motion the creation of this iconic 80s flick. A script would be crafted around the story of fighter pilots, their eternal rivalry with one another, heroism when called on by their country, and a deeply ingrained need for speed. So grab your aviator sunglasses, pull out your brown leather bomber jacket, and meet us in the danger zone where Ron West and I discuss Top Gun from 1986. We might just take your breath away. Welcome in, everybody. This is another episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Glad to have my good friend, Mr. Ron West, back with us again. How you doing, Ron? I'm great, Tim. It is uh, great to be back with you. It has been a minute. Has not been a minute since we've seen each other no. and, uh, <laughs> and conversed and hung out, but it has been a little while since we recorded together, so feels good to get back in the swing of things. <laughs> All right. Well, let's. Uh, we got a lot to cover, so let's jump right in. Uh, so when did you see Top Gun for the very first time? Saw Top Gun in the movies, summer of uh, 86. That mm-hmm. was the, um, uh, the summer of uh, I was going into my uh, freshman year of high school. So between eighth and ninth grade, uh, Top Gun was a big, big movie. Mm-hmm. The 
girls in my class were <laughs> Tom Cruise crazy. And then after seeing Top Gun were Val Kilmer crazy um, <laughs> with the uh, semi-nude volleyball uh, scenes that were uh, taking place and all the unnecessary flexing, right, slow motion right. flexing uh, that, that were happening. So um, if the girls were going to see the movie, then I was going to follow the girls to the movie and see the movie. Uh, but so much enjoyed the movie so much so that bought a model plane uh, uh, to put together and, and, and build uh, for the rest of that, that summer. And, uh, and of course uh, had the sound soundtrack mm-hmm. as uh, I think so many other people did. One of the first really big uh, soundtracks that, that I recall and, for, and probably the, may have been the first one I ever purchased. So uh, yes, yeah, summer of uh, 86. How about you? Yeah, I didn't see this one at the theater. Um, this is one that I saw when it came. Well, if I saw it in the theater, I don't remember as much as when it came out on VHS. But it had to still been in the summertime because I or maybe it was after school. I don't remember. But the memory that I have was my sister and some of her friends had rented it and they were going to watch it at one of her friend's house, which I think back then. Her friends and my friends were usually siblings of each other, so they had older and younger siblings. So we wanted to watch it with them. And, of course, they didn't want us younger the younger brothers and sisters to watch it with them. But I remember the VHS because I remember the Diet Pepsi commercial before the movie came on, which was all, you know, uh, fighter pilots. It was like almost like a mini movie before the before the movie started. And then I remember, I don't know why this is such a vivid memory, but this was the first time they had changed the Paramount logo at the beginning where it wasn't just the standard blue kind of a shadowy picture. It was when the actual stars uh, kind of came around the mountain. So that was the first that I remember. That was the first movie that I saw that had that logo. And I just thought that was the coolest thing uh, ever. So, but, so I remember the VHS of this. I don't remember seeing this in the theater. So Going back and watching it, I was like, man, I would like to see this in the theater, which I'm hoping when uh, the sequel comes out, Maverick, uh, later this year, I'm hoping they'll they'll have the original Top Gun in the theater as well and maybe catch a double feature or something. So, But when was the last time you saw it before rewatching it for the podcast? I've probably watched Tom, uh, uh, Top Gun <laughs> on TV, I, you know, probably once a year mm-hmm. almost every year you know at some point if not the entire movie but catching catching it's part of it uh since i had watched i will tell you it had been a long time since i had watched the full unedited version mm-hmm. of of top gun you know you catch it on usa or tbs or, or or what have you and so the fairly early in the movie when someone said um a, a fairly specific curse word that usually doesn't make it even to USA or TBS. I right. kind of that's not what they say right there. It was like, oh yeah, I, I'm, I'm watching this. I'm watching the real version of this, right? Right. Uh, which I think was still wasn't it still PG? It was uh, still 13? PG. It was still PG. Uh, PG. Yeah. You know that surprised me a, a little bit and and reminded me. So it so and that that was the telling mark of that it had been a while since I had watched the full uh, real version of the movie. Um, but I watched it a couple weeks ago. My my mother and stepfather were here in town hanging out. He's a, a retired military. And uh, so he he really enjoyed it. I gave them the choice. We were going to watch a movie <laughs> that night. I gave him a choice of three or four different options. And he right. jumped at 
at Top Gun as that was the only <laughs> uh, one t- uh, tied to military. So um, he's, um, in fact, he was on a, a aircraft carrier. Uh, oh, okay. For, so he was calling out different, you know, types of planes and different jobs that people were, were doing oh, as, cool. as uh, watching the movie because obviously he has firsthand knowledge mm-hmm. of those things. So uh, what about you? Uh, when was the last time you watched it? It's been a good minute since I've watched watched it all the way through. I don't see it on TV probably as much at here recently. I mean, well, maybe I'm just not on those certain those certain channels where it comes on. It probably comes on uh, more than I think it does. But I haven't seen the TV version in a while, even though I'm pretty sure this is one of those that I recorded off of TV and had the TV edit recorded on a VHS that I watched over and over again in the summer. So kind of like you, there were some scenes where I was like, oh, I remember what word they overdubbed for that word or what, you know, might have cut out. But it's, man, it's probably been at least a good five, maybe 10 years since I've seen this all the way through. But it's one that I remember because I watched it so many times as a kid. So, yeah, it doesn't take much to remember, you know, the story going back and watching it again. So, but this is a good one. I've been excited about doing this one for a while. I was excited to watch it again. I've been kind of wanting to watch it ever since I think last year. I was like, no, I'm going to wait until closer to the podcast to watch it. So I was excited to, uh, to, to watch it again. So you ready to jump into uh, story origin and pre-production? Absolutely. Let's go. All right. So as we mentioned in the introduction, the primary inspiration for the film was the article Top Guns by Ehud Unai from the May 1983 issue of California Magazine, which featured aerial photography by then-Lieutenant Commander Charles Heater Heatley. The article detailed the life of fighter pilots at Naval Air Station Miramar in San Diego, self-nicknamed as Fighter Town USA. Numerous screenwriters allegedly turned down the project. Bruckheimer and Simpson went on to hire Jim Cash and Jack Epps Jr. to write the first draft. The research methods by by Epps included attendance at several declassified Top Gun classes at Miramar and gaining experience by being flown in an F-14. The first draft failed to impress Bruckheimer and Simpson and is considered to be very different from the final product in numerous ways. Tony Scott was hired to direct on the strength of a commercial he had done for Swedish automaker Saab in the early 1980s, where a Saab 900 turbo is shown racing a Saab 37 Viggen fighter jet. I don't remember that commercial, but it sounds pretty cool. (laughs) The producers wanted the assistance of the U.S. Navy in the production of the film. The Navy was influential in relation to script approval, which resulted in changes being made. The opening dogfight was moved to international waters as opposed to Cuba. The language was toned down and a scene that involved a crash on the deck of an aircraft carrier was also scrapped. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Maverick's love interest was also changed from a female enlisted member of the Navy to a civilian contractor with the Navy due to the U.S. military's prohibition of fraternization between officers and enlisted personnel. It's funny, I was watching a little bit of a behind the scenes thing uh, before we started recording um, as I was printing out my notes. And uh, to hear Tom Cruise talk about the movie, you would think that he directed it. (laughs) because <laughs> he talks about all the stuff that they did and pre- which I'm sure he was involved as well, but uh, all the pre-production and stuff that they did. So, uh, but he did talk a lot about, you know, their, their needing to work with the Navy um, to, to get it, uh, to get it made. And even Jerry, it was interviews with Jerry Bruckheimer and Tom Cruise. And they were both saying that the Navy was very instrumental in getting the film made. They They could not have made this movie without their approval and that there were, it kept getting denied over and over again. And they finally got it to uh, somebody who was a little higher up in the ranks who also served as like an advisor on the, on the movie. 
And they said he saw it and he got it approved because he saw it as much more of a uh, promotional vehicle for the U.S. Navy, more so than just a movie. And he knew that if it was done right and done in a way that he could add kind of his own influences on that they would see an uptick on in, uh, in volunteers joining the, the Navy, which we saw come to pass as well. So they did. Yeah, I know I, I had read that the 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 cost of of um, a lot of the things they did in the movie were, were kind of prohibitive mm-hmm. now filming because they even got huge discounts on the what they were spending for fuel. Mm-hmm. Um, thanks for some some of those shots, real shots of real planes. Yeah. Um, but because they the military knew that it would it would be a uh, a tool for them as well it was worth it was worth uh, biting biting the bullet. Yeah, so there's uh, they told the story talking about movie uh, money that was spent <laughs> during one particular filming sequence. The ship's commanding officer changed the ship's course and changed the lighting that uh, Tony Scott needed. When Tony Scott asked if they continue on their previous course and speed. He was informed by the commander that it would cost $25,000, uh, equivalent to $60,000 a day, to turn the ship and to continue on course. Uh, Tony Scott wrote the carrier's captain a $20, $25,000 check on the spot so the ship could be turned and he could continue shooting for another five minutes. So uh, Tony Scott wasn't, wasn't afraid of spending his own money to uh, get the job done. So I thought it was pretty funny. Yeah, good for him. Yeah. And I think, uh, yeah, Tom Cruise saying it's, it, the, if the two stories are the same, um, it was the scene where he throws the goose's dog tags off the back of the uh, of the carrier, and he needed that specific backlight for the shot to work. So, yeah, well, and that's a and that's a and that's a fantastic shot and a mm-hmm. great moment in the uh, near the end of the film. So, yeah. So, but one thing that does, did set this movie apart from other movies like it, um, which I think came out after it and didn't have the Navy's approval, was that a lot of the aerial shots were actual Navy pilots filming. It wasn't models or, you know, you would think like, as you see in like Star Wars behind the scenes stuff where they're using models on a green screen to, to give that, that effect. They would spend, um, I think they said they spent like several days, two or three hours at a time, uh, in the air and just filming the, these real Navy pilots making all these incredible aerial moves. And, uh, and once again, Tom Cruise talking like he was directing the movie, he was like, we just kept pushing them to do more to, you know, and, and he said the, the, the comp- competitiveness of the real pilots kind of helped those mm-hmm. shots because they were like, they would come back down on the ground. Like, okay, what did this guy do? Oh, he did that. Oh, well, let me show you what I can do. And it was this, let me outdo the other guy before me. And they said because of that, they were able to get such great aerial shots and real fighter pilots showing what they could really do uh, in the air. So, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, and I would imagine that that natural competitiveness would take over in a in a uh, situation like that. Um, but they're great shots, and and you seem to be implying that some of the shots in Iron Eagle are not quite as uh, good <laughs> as the shots in Top Gun, sir. Well, I didn't do research on Iron Eagle, but uh, yeah, I was kind of I was kind of alluding to that. <laughs> about iron eagle 17 right there were the shots in, uh, in that one as well i think i i know i saw iron eagle i may have seen the second one but i don't remember anything after that so i i think i'm i'm with you 
and, and that was not seen in the theater. That was definitely a, a walking to the local convenience store and, and um, renting, renting the a little, VCR tape. Was that the little rotating rack with like 15 VHS tapes that they would have in rotation? Uh, the one the one by us actually had a wall oh, okay. uh, of, of uh, tapes. It's pre, pre-Blockbuster and yeah, pre-Movie yeah. Gallery. Yeah, there was one little convenience store. Uh, I remember that I may, maybe had 20, 20 VHS rental things at a time, and it was usually not anything that was brand new. It was usually a couple of years old. They were getting whatever the big whatever the bigger uh, VHS rental store was clearancing out, they would pick up and still want to charge the same amount to rent them. So, but yeah, good times. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, I let us iron Eagle uh, rabbit hole there, sir. Yeah, it's all right. We, well, we know it's, that's uh, Johnny's favorite movie from Cobra Kai. So it's easy to get, you know, get pulled in. Say like anything with Lou Gossett Jr. And I'm, I'm good. Officer oh. and gentleman, iron <laughs> Eagle, and even an old episode of little house on the prairie. Oh Yeah. What about Firewalker? Are you a fan of Firewalker? I'm not sure I'm familiar with Firewalker, but it's maybe him, I need to become familiar with it's Firewalker. It's him and Chuck Norris doing their best to be Indiana Jones in a, in a buddy comedy. You need to research that one. It's it's very obscure. It was definitely one that I saw on VHS as a kid, and it was not very well loved by the critics. But yeah, it's called I think it's called Firewalker, but it's Chuck Norris and Lou Gossett Jr., one one night when I need some help going to sleep, I may look up and uh, find what streaming <laughs> service has this Firewalker and there you uh, go. partake. It'll probably mm-hmm. be on Crackle or Tubi with like sixteen commercial interruptions while you're watching it. So, no 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 slight to Crackle or Tubi. If you want to sponsor, we'll gladly tell everyone how great your streaming service is. And now these messages. Comic books have been around for almost a century, and in the last two decades, we've finally gotten to see many of these characters brought to life in movies and on TV. On the Moving Panels podcast, we discuss movies and TV shows based on, inspired by, and adapted from the world of comic books. Join me and my guests as we discuss both the good and the bad from Marvel, DC, and even some of the lesser-known comic book companies. Learn what is and isn't from the comics, as well as our nerdy review of the movie or show. New episodes drop every Monday, and you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. So join us for Moving Panels, and I'll see you on the other side of the page. What's up, dudes? I'm Jerry D. of Totally Rad Christmas, the podcast that talks all things Christmas in the 80s. Toys, movies, specials, music, books, fashion, and fads. If it was gnarly during Christmas in the 80s, he's got it covered. Wait, is there a lot of things to talk about for the 80s and Christmas? Well, you got the movie giants like Christmas Vacation, Scrooge, and A Christmas Story. There are TV specials like Muppet Family Christmas, Claymation Christmas Celebration, and a Garfield Christmas Special. Plus classics shown every year. You also jam out to Last Christmas, Do They Know It's Christmas, and Christmas in Hollis. But most of all, it was a time for the most bodacious, best-selling Christmas toys ever, like He-Man, G.I. Joe, Transformers, and Cabbage Patch Kids. Yes, them too. We cover them all, plus much more, including standard segments like Hap Hap Happiest Memory, Gagging with the Spoon, The Other Half of the Battle, and Chant with the Littles. So tune in to Totally Rad Christmas everywhere you get your podcasts. Turn the clock back and dive into those warm and fuzzy memories. Later, dudes. So, but anyway, going back to the, the real fighter pilots, there is one sad story uh, that I I just felt like I needed to share. So, renowned aerobatic pilot Art Scholl was hired to do in-flight camera work for the film. 
The original script called for a flat spin, which Skull was to perform and capture on a camera on the aircraft. The aircraft was observed to spin through its recovery altitude, at which time Skull radioed, I have a problem. I have a real problem. He was unable to recover from the spin and crashed his pit special biplane into the Pacific Ocean off the Southern California coast near Carlsbad on September 16, 1985. Neither Scholl's body nor his aircraft was ever recovered, leaving the official cause of the accident unknown. Top Gun was dedicated to Scholl's memory. So that was uh, not a uh, a great part of the filming process, but felt like it needed yeah. to be mentioned. Yeah. The film was shot in the Super 35 format as anamorphic lenses were too large to fit inside the cockpits of the fighter jets. And also the cameras would fall off their mounts when the fighter jets maneuvered on their sides. So they had to get real creative with the cameras as well. So to get some of those shots, one of my favorite shots they did is when the, uh, the fighter jet is coming back to the uh, aircraft carrier. And it's kind of like underneath the plane where you can, you kind of see it uh, as it's approaching, which I thought was a really cool shot. Any favorite shots you remember? Um, I always like the the shot looking to the rear of the plane just after it has taken off. And oh, it's, and yeah. It's climbing. Yeah. And um, you can kind of see the um, the streams um, mm-hmm. in the air, the little, little white white streams and the aircraft carrier getting smaller in the, mm-hmm. in the distance. Yeah. That, I've always liked that one. And uh but again, really thought you would say the three three fourths of the guys semi nude volleyball would be one of your favorite <laughs> cinema cinema shots uh, there. Well, but uh, we haven't got not. maybe if Anthony Edwards had removed his shirt to make it four out of four <laughs> and let let the bird out let the bird out of the cage, right? Uh, you know, then it would maybe maybe made your list. Well, we haven't got to overall favorite scenes of the movie. We're just talking about aerial scenes with the actual fighter pilots, so. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> All right, well, since you mentioned Anthony Edwards and several of the guys, let's talk about casting. So this one has a had a, has a pretty lengthy cast list, and I, I would love to have talked about everyone, but uh, we'll, we'll kind of hit some of the highlights and a few that I threw in just for good measure. So as Ron has almost accidentally called this movie Tom Gunn uh, because of Tom Cruise is <laughs> so well-known for this role, let's start with Mr. Cruise himself. As Lieutenant Pete Maverick Mitchell, Tom Cruise first met Tony Scott while working for his brother Ridley Scott on Legend from 1985. Uh, Cruise also reunited with Tony Scott, Jerry Bruckheimer, and Don Simpson on Days of Thunder in 1990, which Cruise co-wrote with Robert Town, which I've seen Days of Thunder several times, and it's basically Top Gun in a NASCAR. But anyway, <laughs> they're almost the same movie. So uh, Is Tom Cruise unnecessarily uh, intense in... Uh... Oh, of course. In that movie as well. As, of course. As he is in this movie and he is in every movie that he that yeah. he films. Now, for those of you that have not heard previous podcasts with Ron, uh, will know that Tom Cruise is not Ron's favorite actor. And I was actually surprised when he wanted to do this episode because I was like, I surely doesn't want to do Top Gun because it's got Tom Cruise in it. But you said Top Gun is actually one of the only Tom Cruise movies that I that I like and then Top Gun. I have very fond memories of Top Gun as, yeah. as a youth. Tom Cruise is my least favorite actor of, and I shouldn't even say of a generation of possibly of all generations, <laughs> but I like Top Gun and I like uh, all the right moves. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't consider the outsiders a Tom Cruise movie. No. It's just a movie that he happens to, to be in. Yeah, right. 
But no, I was more than happy. Uh, such a fan of Anthony Edwards. Am oh, I, yeah. Yeah. Of uh, Gilbert from Revenge of the Nerds. Such a fan of, uh, of his that I can overlook Tom Cruise's uh, overly intense facial expressions uh, in this movie to uh, listed upon one of my, my favorites. And honestly, and it may be the soundtrack. When yeah. uh, danger yeah. when Danger Zone starts mm-hmm. playing and the and the planes are firing it up, mm-hmm. there's a little part of me gets you know wakes up a little bit inside and gets a little <laughs> excited. That's that's um if I got a chance to go see Top Gun again in a in a theater, mm-hmm. uh, which I, I'm sure it's probably happened and I just didn't realize it. But if my local theater on you know on the flashback thing was done, I would probably go see it mm-hmm. again just for the you know that soundtrack to, mm-hmm. to the pump. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'd love to see like the opening sequence of just the 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 planes taking off and landing. Yes, is almost yes. worth the price of admission to see it in the theater for that reason. With Danger Zone playing in the background as well, so I agree hundred percent. So, are you aware of any and, other and, actors that were considered? Or oh, go ahead. I, well, I would just like to note that you said that you know that's worth the cost of admission, and it's worth noting there was very little Tom Cruise in that section of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, just you know, food for thought. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, are you aware of any of the other actors that were considered for the role of Maverick? Uh, I, I, I am not. I have not uh, checked that out. So enlighten me. Okay. Actor Matthew Modine turned down the role of Pete Mitchell because he felt yeah. the film's pro-military stance went against his politics. So I can see that. Now, I've narrowed this list down from what I read, but these are some names that I, I just had to mention and. We may talk about them individually if we have some time. So John Travolta, Emilio Estevez, Nicolas Cage, Kevin Bacon, Scott Bayo, and Tom Hanks have all been rumored to have turned down the role of Maverick. So let's go back at the top. John Travolta. Um, that would have been terrible. <laughs> um, and, and I think sometimes we get people get confused about someone being considered versus someone being offered and, and, and turned down. I'd be surprised that all of those people had legitimate offers to play the role and, right. and, 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 and turned it down. There could have been discussions and possibility mm-hmm. we're considering. Um, but John Travolta mid eighties, you know, had uh, basically disappeared. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, whereas Tom, Tom Cruise got the girls in my class excited and rushed out to see Top Gun, as I stated at the beginning, which led us to then follow those girls to the movies right. to see Top Gun. Right. Uh, John Travolta does not have that effect. <laughs> um, and uh, so I definitely think they would have, have missed out there. Scott Bayo, other than Zapped, I don't think ever no. did a movie. Uh, so, and then again, this is, if, you know, if this comes out in 86 and it's filming in 85, that's, that's even a few years post Joni Loves Chachi at that right, point. So right. I'm not sure Scott Bayo was was you know generating a lot of interest. Kevin Bacon, I think, would have been interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. If and and um, of course we know now that Tom Hanks is a phenomenal actor. Mm-hmm. But in 1986, no. Bachelor Party and Bosom Buddies, we yeah. did not know that Tom Hanks was a fantastic actor. Yeah, he didn't he didn't go into his dramas. His dramatic films were really in the 90s. So in the 80s, he was strictly known for comedy. Like you said, Bachelor Party, Splash, Big, well, even Big came out after this, which kind of was more of a comedy drama. But before that, he was straight up comedy actor. Joe, Pitt, yeah. Joe versus the Volcano, is that, that 80s? That was later. But yeah, that was later 80s. But yeah. 
so so those would have been interesting. But I, I do think Kevin Bacon probably could have done a, a good job in the role and would have been closer in height to uh, Anthony Edwards and would not have had to wear lifts in his shoes as <laughs> as we know from doing research Tom Cruise had to do for yes. this role. As Anthony Edwards is six foot four and they generously list Tom Cruise, I think, at like five eight or something like that, and they, or five nine even. No, and, I think uh, he's that tall. He's got lifts in, and he is still a foot shorter than Anthony Edwards, or they're actually standing next to each other. So, mm-hmm. yeah, they're being generous, generous with those numbers. But uh, uh, who were some of the other ones you said? Emilio Estevez, which I thought would have been somewhat interesting, uh, and Nicolas Cage, which I think his level of intensity might have blown Tom Cruise's intensity out the water. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing uh, Nicholas does as we're getting ready to see in Pig, uh, <laughs> it's a movie that's that's coming out. Uh, it's one thing he does is intense, right? Um, so I, I think he he the movie takes on a different tone. Some of the softer elements may may have gotten lost with with Nicholas Cage. Like you said, Emilio Estevez would have been interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would have been interesting. But overall, I am. I, again, I'm fine with Tom Cruise in this role. He has no long, unnecessary running scene that they shoot from at very different angles. That had not started yet at this point, right? Right. Uh, so that was that was uh, that was fine. Yeah. Uh, what was some of the other casting that that you, you discovered? All right. Well, let, let, before we get to the next person, I do want to mention because we we talked about this uh, last week when we were together. Uh, Charlie Sheen also auditioned, but was deemed too young for the role. And I made the comment that there are certain scenes in Top Gun that it feels like Tom Cruise is acting like Charlie Sheen, or at least what we know Charlie Sheen's acting to be like. So I thought it was great that Charlie Sheen would go on, later go on to spoof the role uh, in Hot Shots, which Hot Shots 1 and Hot Shots Part 2, uh, I think, are both uh, really good uh, parody movies if you're into those. So definitely check those out. But one thing that I will say, Tom Cruise did turn down the role several times. He was in london uh filming legend at the time and he did not want to think about another movie but he was working for ridley scott and ridley scott said hey my brother is making another movie called top gun i think you'd be great for it and so he agreed to to meet with him they took him out on one of the fighter jets and sent him up with one of the pilots in the back seat uh he threw up all in the plane (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but when when they got back to the ground, he said, "Sign me up, I'll do it." Um, he was the adrenaline rush was enough to get him, uh, get him to sign to sign the dotted line. So that's really how he. But they wanted him from the beginning. I think the other people they talked about were because he kept saying no. So they were trying to find someone else to fill the role. But they they pretty much wanted him from the beginning. So you know, getting getting someone up in in one of those planes is a genius move to get someone to <laughs> sign on to that movie because even though it's, it's scary like you said and he got he got sick that would be just such a rush and such an experience that it would be hard to then look at the pilot look at the people mm-hmm. who are who are doing that for a living and be like no nah, i don't want to tell anything about about this um you know about this uh, uh you know the way these things happen or, or or you know tell anything about this story um so yeah that that's, that's ingenious. Um, and it, you know, kudos to him that he, you know, could get sick and then check that ego mm-hmm. and say, um, yeah, I want to do this. I want to, I want to, I want to make this film. So, yeah. and one thing of note, Anthony Edwards is the only actor that was in the fighter jets that did not throw up. 
So Gilbert, <laughs> my boy. All right. Well, let's talk about Kelly McGillis as Charlotte, Charlie Blackwood, instructor of Top Gun and Maverick's love interest. Ali Sheedy actually turned down the role because she didn't think that anyone would want to see a movie about fighter pilots. She later regretted this decision. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would, I would imagine so. Um, <laughs> I can tell you, I would much rather have seen Ali Sheedy in this role. I was never a fan of Kelly McGillis. Kelly McGillis, yeah. Uh, Julianne Phillips was also in consideration. Uh, and she was actually scheduled to perform a screen test with Tom Cruise, but didn't uh, didn't do that. Brooke Shields and Deborah Winger were considered for the role. Uh, the producers wanted Kelly McGillis. She had just finished Witness with Harrison Ford and had gotten some critical acclaim for that role. So I think they were trying to uh, get some with someone with some strong chops for, uh, for this role. Yeah. And, and she does that. And she, she definitely brings that um, more accomplished actor, actress, mm-hmm. you know, vibe to, to her role as do some of the instructors. Um, I just, yeah. for some reason in my mind, like watching this film and even watching it now, she just seems like she's like, 20 years older than him. I was going to say the same thing. I've always seen her as like a much older woman than Tom Cruise's character. I agree. And I, and I don't know what their actual ages are. And, and part of that could just be like, Oh, you're thinking military. So he's 18. Clearly he's not. I mean, he's right. an officer. Right. I mean, he's, he's been, uh, you know, in the serving for, for quite a while. So it could be more of, you know, he's 25 and she's, you know, 28, 29 or something. I'm, I'm not sure, but it just always kind of struck me as a little unbelievable. The romance, uh, the romance side. So she's actually five years older than Cruz. Five. Okay. Well, that probably plays to the, what it was in the, mm-hmm. in the movie and, and, you know, not a huge, uh, not a huge difference. Certainly. Uh, yeah. I mean, you and I both, uh, what married women who are what two years older than us? So, <laughs> yeah. um, we can't say much about about five years. No, but I think part of that too is, and I don't think I would have I wouldn't have put this together then. But Tom Cruise is coming off of playing high schoolers, so he had done all the right moves, risky business, outsiders. Um, so all uh, those roles he had been a teenager. So now you see him in this film where it's obvious he's older, but you're not thinking of being that much older. And then even Kelly McGillis's character in Witness is a mother with a 10-year-old child. So you automatically assuming her to be in her 30s, I would say, uh, right. or late 20s. So that that might have been somewhat of a factor as well. Preconceived notions on our part based on previous roles right. could, be, could be playing a part there. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Yeah. Well, I did think this was interesting. So the character of Charlie Blackwood is actually... Uh, was actually based on a real person. Christine Legs, which is her nickname, Fox, was tall, blonde, leggy, and had a penchant for clacking high heels. At the time the movie was being produced, the filmmakers wanted the character of Charlie to either be a groupie or a gymnast, but when the producers met Fox, whose call sign was Legs, they changed the role. The fictional Charlie is an astrophysicist, but Fox is a mathematician who worked at the Center for Naval Analysis, which was located across the street from Top Gun. Uh, she told Fox. Oh, she told People Magazine in 1985. They always know when I'm coming because I'm one of the few people around who whose heels click. I don't know why they keep repeating that over and over again. But 
From December 2013 to, to February 2014, Fox served as the acting U.S. Deputy Secretary of Defense, making her the Defense Department's highest ever ranking female officer. So I uh, thought that was interesting that she was based on a real person that has uh, done pretty well for herself. Very, very cool. All right. Next on the list is Val Kilmer as Lieutenant Tom Iceman Kazansky. <laughs> so Kilmer originally did not want to be in the film, but was forced to by contractual obligations. And it became an iconic role for his career and one that he actually enjoyed once he got into it. So uh, Kilmer fan. Uh, in this movie. Yes. I yeah. mean, this movie in Tombstone, I mean, yeah. I'm oh, yeah, Huckleberry, yeah. Yeah. you know, uh, uh, I mean, he is he is outstanding in the egotistical role of mm-hmm. Iceman yeah. in, in this movie. Uh, you know, I'm not sure if that's something that just comes easily uh, 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 to him. Mm-hmm. But uh, he is just, you know, just the shots, a lot of the little the facial expressions, you know, the coldness that, you know, the character Iceman is supposed to yeah. uh, depict. He's he's just really good at all of those things this is him uh, you know this may be you know val kilmer at his at his uh at his best mm-hmm. um and uh although i would you know again i'll go to doc holiday and in, in, in tombstone probably as uh, is you know is one it? of the favorite cinematic yeah. characters exactly uh ever um he does such a good job with that role but um, yeah, very, very happy with uh, uh, Val Kilmer. I don't think I knew Val Kilmer before this. This is before Willow, right? Willow is like 88, maybe. Uh, so this would be a couple of years. Yeah, maybe. I have um, to look that I, one up. Yeah, 88, 89, or it could be 87. But Will- Willow is definitely after this. Um, and the, um, oh my goodness, I can't believe I can't remember the name yeah. of it. I almost said Weird Science, not Weird Science. Uh, the uh, uh, Yes. You know what uh, I'm talking about. Pure genius. <laughs> pure genius. Yeah. Real, ge- real genius. That's it. Yeah. Real, real genius. genius. Yeah, yeah. Willow came out in 88. So. Okay. And real genius is, you know, again, the egotistical, mm-hmm. sarcastic, uh, not the cold calculating role in, in Top Gun, but he, you know, he, right. he did well with that as well. So yeah, I was very, uh, I always enjoyed uh, Val Kilmer. And it's always funny to me because Val Kilmer, and we know his name, you know, we know his 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 sign, his, his mm-hmm. call sign, Iceman. Right. And honestly, ninety nine percent of the time, I cannot remember his uh, his partner's. Uh, I don't know his <laughs> name as an actor, and most of the time, I can't remember his call sign either. Uh, Rick Rossovich as Slider. Yeah. See, I, I always forget Slider. You know, but we know Goose, we know Maverick, yeah. we know Iceman, and then oh yeah, the guy sat behind Iceman. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like I even know that Tim Robbins is Merlin. Like I, I can remember that. Absolutely. Um, and if I think real hard, I can come up with, um, uh, you know, we, we don't want to bog down the show, but the, uh, the guy that opts out so that, uh, you know, they, they fall into Top Gun. Yeah. And then, um, and then also the guy who's, I always forget his name as an actor who, um, is the first person to kind of, kind of take Deuce's seat. And uh, who would who would go on to be uh, uh, since you mentioned Chuck Norris earlier to be Chuck Norris's sidekick on yes. Walker Texas, Texas Ranger. Ranger? Yeah, we're gonna get to him. Yeah, Clarence Gilliard. Clarence Gilliard. There you go. All right. 
Well, let's 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 keep moving because you're you're mentioning people we're going to talk about. So uh, <laughs> let's get to your favorite, Anthony Edwards as Goose. Goose. So uh, according to Anthony Edwards, he said a lot of the humor was discovered at the moment the script was skeletal. So uh, so once again, Tom Cruise tells the story that uh, he recommended Anthony Edwards uh, when they were you know still working on the pre-production for the film. Uh, Tom Cruise with a group of friends playing paintball uh, in the hills of California. And that's where he saw Anthony Edwards for the first time with another group and seeing his uh, athletic ability and his camaraderie with his friends and his quick wittedness, sense of humor. uh, He recommended him for the role. So Um, I can see the quick wittedness. I'm not sure Anthony Edwards has ever been referred to as athletic, (laughs) Uh, um, but maybe he is. I mean, we've only seen him play a doctor on, what ER and yeah. then uh, you know, again the, the nerd on Gilbert on Revenge of the Nerds, mm-hmm. um, and then this character and none of them exactly screamed athleticism. But True. I mean, for all I mean, he, like I said, he was six four, so he, mm-hmm. he he may have been a you know crack shot basketball player and tennis player and, mm-hmm. and who knows what else. Uh, but apparently, his paintball skills were impressing uh, <laughs> uh, Tom Cruise. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, Anthony Edwards, like, you know, for you, you go back to Revenge of the Nerds. He'll, he'll forever be Dr. Green on ER. I was a big ER fan and uh, was very sad when he left the show. Uh, but that's that's where uh, I remember him most fondly from, definitely. So. Has, has he done anything since he left ER? Nothing of note. I think he's popped up as, like, guest guest roles in some other shows, but nothing nothing uh nothing of note that i can i can think of so yeah maybe he comes back in the new top gun movie and he didn't really die and was all a hoax (laughs) and uh, the ghost of goose uh makes an appearance right right all right let's let's uh move right along tom scarrett as mike viper metcalf the commanding officer instructor of top gun i've always been a good tom scarrett fan pretty much from this movie um a great note, since you mentioned it, Lou Gossett Jr. was considered for the role of Viper. Gossett, however, did play the older mentor-type role in another 80s fighter of jet film, Iron Eagle in 1986. So, <laughs> Yeah, I love Tom Scarrett in this uh, in this role, and, and it's, this is the type of role that he's like built for, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, fantastic. Michael Ironside as Jester, a naval aviator and Top Gun instructor. Um Ironside stated in a DVD commentary that he was so convincing as an officer that when he heard someone running towards him below decks, he got onto the sailor who was running. The sailor saluted and slowed down until he got out of Ironside's line of sight and started running again. The sailor never knew that Ironside was an actor on the film. So I thought that was pretty funny. That is perfect. And and with Ironside's voice, I can definitely see that happening because he has such a commanding voice. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So... Uh, so you mentioned it before, Rick Rosovich as uh, Slider, known from other movies uh, such as Roxanne with oh. Steve Martin in 1987 and Navy Seals with Charlie Sheen in 1990. He also had a brief role in The Terminator in 1984. <coughs> Could not have told you he was in any of those. <laughs> I remember him from Roxanne. I vaguely remember him in Navy Seals, but uh, but yeah, he didn't really do a whole lot. But uh, this was fun. He stated in the DVD commentary that he was kicked off the ship used for filming because he smarted off to an officer. <laughs> he, had oh, gone wow. to, he had gone to sleep in the bunk to which he was assigned, but didn't like being so close to the nuclear reactors that powered the ship. So he moved when he smarted off to the officer who wanted his bunk back. Rosovich was told to report to the captain who ordered him thrown off the ship for disrespect. So 
Uh, he might have had more scenes, but he wasn't able allowed for filming that day. So, yeah, he overplayed his hand there. Exactly, uh, Mr. Actor, you're still on a military vessel. <laughs> right, right. So uh, Tim Robbins as Merlin, Cougar's radar intercept officer. Uh, he had mainly done TV work before this. His next film would be the much al- maligned Howard the Duck. He's mostly known for Bull Durham in '88 and the Shawshank Redemption in 1994. Bull Durham. Possibly my favorite all-time sports movie. Love, love Tim Robbins in that as Nuke Lelouch. <laughs> and then we mentioned Clarence Gilliard as Sundown. I didn't know that. I didn't know that was his call sign. First feature film role for Clarence Gilliard. All of his previous filmed roles were in TV series and TV movies, but he's most famous for his roles in Die Hard in 1988, and of course the hit Chuck Norris TV show Walker Texas Ranger, which Ron mentioned already. So. Eyes of the Ranger are upon you. Um, used to, used to love me some Walker Texas Ranger. He throw one kick, and they show it from seventeen different angles. Looks like he kicked the guy seventeen times. Like, nope, it was the same kick. Uh, but uh, still, still love that. I wonder, and, and I don't know if you've came across it in your research, but I wonder who came up with all the call signs. Um, oh yeah, I would have liked to have known that. I didn't didn't see that, but yeah. Well, and I think one of the reasons we probably don't really remember Mr. Gilliard's name mm-hmm. is it's uh, it is a little odd that the one character whose uh, skin is a little darker has the call <laughs> sign Sundown. Um, you know, which is is uh, um, a little odd. But mm-hmm. I will tell you a real quick Maverick story. So uh, when my child was young and going to school. Uh, and playing soccer, there was a kid on her soccer team whose name was Maverick. Right. And right. we were at a, my daughter had started running 5Ks. She was about 10, 10 years old or so. And we were at a little 5K race. Me and the guy that I work with uh, was there as well. His his kid was running it too. And we were kind of waiting. And uh, Maverick kind of went running by. And he said, hey, doesn't that kid play soccer with your daughter? And I, I said, yeah, his name is Maverick. And he looked at me funny. His parents named him Maverick. That's his actual name. And I said, yeah, I'm not sure if he's got a sibling named Goose. And I turned around to find Maverick's mom standing right behind me and staring at me. Uh, and I never felt so small. And I never made fun of another child's name uh, ever again. That is a fantastic story. And I thank you for sharing that. <laughs> but yeah, my, uh, my my daughter has a classmate. He's in a different grade from her, but her previous school and his name is Maverick. So I think that's become a pretty, pretty common. We're not, maybe not common, but more common than we thought it would be of a name. So, yeah. And I would guess more of the people that did that, you know, maybe has some influence from Top Gun than the movie Maverick. Uh, True, which was based on a TV be- show. Yeah. Right. I, I I can't imagine that, um, you know, kind of getting that name, that name started. But yeah, anyway, name. that's my Maverick uh, story. I have no uh, story for any kids named uh, Sundown or Merlin. All right. Well, here's a name that I, when I see the name, I do not immediately think of who this is, but you'll understand why he's included. James Tolkien. Do you know who James Tolkien is? Uh, that is J.R.R. Tolkien's uh, brother. No. Uh, who wrote... <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so he played Stinger, commander of the USS Enterprise Carrier Air Group. You may not recognize the name, but he has so many. He was in so many '80s movies, including War Games, Back to the Future, Turk One Eighty Two, and Masters of the Universe. He played the principal in Back to the Future. 
I was going to say he was the um, he's the bald. Um, yeah. Uh, so I can't the, believe I have to give you. He, he's the one yeah. that sends them to uh, Top Gun. Exactly. Yeah. Cigar smoking, bald commanding officer. So uh, who was also great in that role and was great yeah. as the principal yeah. in, uh, in Back to the Future. He was great in all the roles. And I mean, now I don't remember. I don't remember him in War Games at all. Even though he did that on that was an episode we did earlier uh, last year. Uh, I just recently watched Turk One Eighty Two. Uh, which he's got a small role in that, but he is in Masters of the Universe. I watched that a couple of years ago or like a year or so ago. And, uh, but yeah, he is one of those people that you immediately recognize him by face and by voice, but he just doesn't have a name that you would remember. But James Tolkien is, uh, he, is that actor. He also kind of plays the same role in all those, uh, this is movies, true. I think. This is true. Uh, and I will admit, I sometimes get him, I think I told you this, mm-hmm. get him confused with Donald Pleasant's. Yes, uh, yes. Um, Halloween. Uh, Halloween, who are absolutely not even remotely on the same level, probably, as right. actors, uh, nor accent-wise or anything else. It's got to just be the baldness, I guess. Hey, it's a right. you know, middle-aged bald guy. They must be the same actor. And um, I didn't look it up for this, but I think I've looked it up before because when I went back and watched Empire Strikes Back and the one guy in Cloud City that has, like, the metal thing around his head, but he's still bald on top. It's like part, uh, uh, right. I always think that's the same guy, but it's not, he's, that's a different L- actor as well. L- Lobot is his Lobot, name. Yeah. In the- yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know, um, who that is as an actor. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to take the time to look it up now, but yeah, no. All right. Uh, last few Meg Ryan as Carol Bradshaw Goose's wife, although she, this was not her big screen debut. It did launch her career. She went on to star in films such as Inner Space in 1987, which is one of my favorite, where she met and later married Dennis Quaid. And she was also in When Harry Met Sally in 1989 with Billy Crystal. But yeah. And then would go on to great fame beyond that with uh, Tom uh Tom Hanks, Sleepless in Seattle, yep. and You've Got Mail are yep. two of my all-time favorite romantic comedies um, uh, in the '90s. Love mm-hmm. uh, both of those movies, yeah, uh, I agree. Uh, greatly. But this is absolutely the first thing I remember seeing Meg Ryan in. Take me to bed or lose me forever. <laughs> yep, she's great. All right, I'm only mentioning this guy's name because I just I had to. Adrian Pazdar as Chipper a naval aviator and student of Top Gun. The character of Chipper Piper was created just for Pazdar as Tony Scott loved his audition. Pazdar has only one line and is pretty forgettable, but I had had to mention it because he is most well-known to me for his role as Nathan Petrelli in the short-lived hit TV show Heroes in 2006. So, um, Right, yeah. Well, he was the, um, wasn't he the governor or something in Heroes? Yeah, yeah. he was the politician, older brother. Yeah, I didn't realize he was in this until I watched when I watched it again two weeks yeah. ago, and I was like, and and I couldn't remember his name as an actor, and mm-hmm. I just went, oh, that's the guy from Heroes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You see him standing in the background a lot. In this, yeah, exactly. In this He's yeah, like I said, he has one line in the whole movie, and I should have wrote it down, but yes. He, he only has one line in the movie. So, but and in, in every scene that he's in the background, he looks so bored. <laughs> I didn't notice that. <laughs> Right, which you would think someone at, uh, who's a you know a pilot at Top Gun would not be bored with everything that's happening around you, but yeah, he does. Right, but I'm sure every day it's like, hey, can you just stand right behind Tom Cruise? We don't want to see you, but we just want to make sure you're in the background. So there's probably a little little demeaning 
<laughs> and, and, and bend your knees a little bit so you come down a little lower. <laughs> yeah, but don't, don't, don't stand so tall. Don't stand so tall. Don't tower. Don't tower. <laughs> and then I'll throw this in as a little cameo. Charlie's older man date at the officer's club is the real-life Viper, Pete Pettigrew. He was a retired oh, yeah. Navy pilot and Top Gun instructor and shot down a MiG during the Vietnam War. He served as the technical consultant on the film. So, Oh, very cool. Nice little cameo there. So, Very cool, yeah. All right. Uh, we're talking about call signs. I just want to throw this out. So if, if you were to join the Navy and become a fighter pilot, do you have a call sign that you would want that uh, is like, this is me, this is, this is who people are going to know me as? <laughs> well i would have to um it would have to be um well i don't think they'll let you i have a couple of different little little nicknames but one has my name in it and so yeah, i don't think you can have your name in probably not the call yeah. sign so i have i have several pieces of clothing and even an earring a gold necklace melted down and made into an earring many years ago that say kr2 which is king ron the second uh, so if they would let me, and that's when I played video games and you had to put in initials, it was always oh, yeah, KR2, yeah. KR2, KR2. So KR2 is always been my go-to. But right. the other one is uh, like if um, uh, talking to a friend of mine that I, I grew up with not that long ago, and he he called me this, and that was mm-hmm. Rifleman. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. When I played quarterback, I had a little towel, you know, that kind of hung you know, between your legs so you could dry your hands. And it had Rifleman written on it with a rifle. uh uh, from the, uh, of course, from the Chuck Connors um, TV show, but I stole that from Tom Cruise movie, All the Right Moves. Right. The right. quarterback in All the Right Moves nickname was Rifleman, who in the movie ends up getting a scholarship to West Virginia. And of course, mm-hmm. where did I grow up? West Virginia. West Virginia. Yeah. So um, probably Rifleman. What about you? Um, since I asked the question, I should have had a good answer for my own question. I really don't. Um, yeah, I haven't, I haven't had too many nicknames growing up. They've all been variations of my name. So I've been Tim Buck two, Tim Buck three, tiny Tim, the Timster. Um, so yeah, I have, I have no idea. So, uh, they would definitely have to assign one to me. I'm sure someone would give me a name, uh, well, I can tell you, I think most people, they would have something to do with singing, you know, Probably. just be singer yeah, or, or uh, you know, melody, or if they wanted to take it, you know, in a different direction, like call you off key or, you know, something <laughs> like that, you know. Um, yeah, you want to uh, have, but I want to have some kind of intimidating name. Melody is not going to be a great call sign. <laughs> 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 Maybe. Here it's comes make good. As, as opposed to Goose? Yeah. Well, hey, <laughs> Harmony, do you have my back? Harmony, come in. Harmony, do you have my back? Uh, <laughs> pray, pray, so. Praise team leader. Hey, praise team leader. <laughs> uh, maybe maybe guitar solo or I don't know, something. Uh, yeah. Uh, oh, they, hey, they call me Axe Man because the guitar, you know, some people call their guitar their axe, but that's more electric guitar. I don't know. So, yeah. So. Yeah. You probably should have come up with a better answer before you asked the question. There, yeah. My friend. I may edit this out anyway. All right. So moving on. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. the best part of the show. Don't yeah. edit that out. Yeah. <laughs> and now these messages. <sighs> what seems to be the problem, pal? 
There's just so much pain in the world, so many issues. I don't think I can bear it. Hell, friendo, it sounds like you could use a dose of pop culture roulette. Pop culture roulette? What's that? Some sort of pop culture themed podcast or something? That's right, sonny boy. When hope seems far, dive into some PCR. But I already get my entertainment news from Variety. Huh, that's pretty good. If you're a chucklehead, PCR gives you news you need, condensed, unfiltered, and raw, from three nerds who know a little something about something. Wow, okay, sign me up. That's the spirit. Pop Culture Roulette. New episodes every Monday, available on all major podcast directories. All right, so iconic scenes, favorite scenes. All right, when you close your eyes and think of Top Gun, what is the one scene that comes to mind for you? You can be my wingman anytime. <laughs> oh, you can be mine. Right. I didn't say I'm much always- most cringeworthy. I just said. <laughs> I-, I love that scene. I've always liked that scene because, I, and, and part of that is because that was, like, I remember watching the movie, you know, and even the little thing that happens at the beginning, I guess it's clearly supposed to be the Russians, although the enemy is never really named. Right, right. Um, but, you know, it's pretty, you know, bland. Oh, they're here. They're getting too close to us. Okay, we scared them off and now they're leaving. And then everything is training, 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 training. And then all of a sudden, no, this is real life. And if they get too close, they're going to blow up this aircraft carrier and all these guys are going to die. And mm-hmm. You've got to get them going in the other direction. And so all of a sudden when it goes to a real fight scene and these guys are actually doing what they've been trained to do. So that, that scene of you can be my wingman anytime. And then, you know, and you're expecting him to be like, Oh man, thanks for finally trusting me. And mm-hmm. I kind of earned everybody's trust in him saying, Nope, you can be mine probably epitomizes that character of of you know the still the brash cockiness but being able to finally work as a team so i've always liked that line (laughs) and again i'll reference the volleyball scene has Mm -hmm. always made me chuckle just the unnecessary (laughs) the unnecessary posing and Mm -hmm. and um flexing just for no reason, just standing there and just flexing. And then poor Lord Anthony Edwards still having on his shirt. It's just, <laughs> it's just hilarious. Also, Maybe he just burns watch, easy. He just wanted to, he wanted to keep his skin protected. So w- watching this time and knowing that, <clears throat> you know, Tom Cruise had lifts in his shoes uh, to, you know, make himself seem taller. And then you notice that like every scene they shoot, especially in the volleyball, you know, are from angles either way down low pointing up at him mm-hmm. or from way above pointing down at him where he's spiking, where you can't tell that that net has either been lowered to like three <laughs> feet so he can jump and, and spike it. Or right. um, just every time you see him do something like that, it's actually a, a kind of a funny angle on the cinematography. Um, but that's the, I, when, when the girls, started talking the first thing they talked about every time was the volleyball scene they loved them some volleyball scene so it's probably an iconic uh kind of kind of moment what about you what stands out for you yeah there's several um that's like i said the opening sequence of the fighter jets you know coming and going which is you know has become pretty iconic for me Um, fantastic is great scene uh of course the volleyball scene is iconic um uh goose spoiler alert uh, goose <laughs> goose's death uh scene is pretty pretty big and then of course just like i said that that ending scene uh is is pretty good but 
for me, the most iconic is probably Goose's death. I think that whole sequence is is pretty is pretty 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 iconic for me. So yeah, the the rescuers shouting, "You have to let him go, sir!" Yeah, you yeah, have to let him go. Yeah. Um, always kind of stood out to me, and you know the melancholy. Uh, I shouldn't even say melancholy. Just the depression of you know Meg Ryan's character and mm-hmm. you know of course the child but not even knowing what's what's happening yet but just that uh that whole sequence is mm-hmm. um really probably grounds the movie yeah uh, yeah uh, in in the bite of reality there and i think for me that was probably one of the first movies where a main character dies in a sense of moving the story forward you know what I'm saying like it's pretty common now you know someone close has right. to die to spur, you know spur on the team that's not that doesn't gel well together and so that was a pretty shocking scene for me as a kid that age so that's probably why it stands out more so and i read that the that scene since you mentioned that that it was a um the military made them change that that it was mm-hmm. originally his death was going to be it was either a mid-air collision or just a pilot error where he 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 clipped something and uh and the plane was going down mm-hmm. and uh and but they there had been a rash of pilots actually killed mm-hmm. in 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 those situations right so the military was was kind of sensitive to that being in there and so they they changed it to to something else um which yeah. which was fine i mean it didn't i mean what did we know about getting caught and getting caught in another plane's exhaust mm-hmm. and it and it uh, you know affecting the yeah the ability to fly which is also why i was written that it would show that it was there was no one was at fault that it was a pure accident right. that there was you know neither was at fault uh for the death there was another scene that was cut from the military so cougar which is the when you can remember who they take the who, whose place they take um he was actually supposed to have crashed while trying to land back on the carrier and his death was supposed to be why maverick slid into cougar spot but this was uh, cut by the Navy as well uh, because it, it intended to be a recruitment tool for the Navy. They didn't want negative attention drawn on a particularly hazardous aspect of serving on a carrier or flying fighters. So I went to flight school with Cougar. He was a good man. <laughs> You're supposed to say, say still is. Come still on. Is. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> I was like, I know that's a line from the movie, but I can't remember what comes next. So <laughs> other lines I'll remember that one. I didn't remember as much. So. <laughs> But yeah. So what? So what about favorite scene, or is it the one in the same for you? Um, yeah, yeah, probably one in the same. I mean, we've talked about so many different uh, scenes already. Yeah. But the uh, the the of course the celebration in the end, everything you know, United States wins. We kill we kill some Russians. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the others have to run away and flee from us because we're 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 fearsome and and then everyone trusts Maverick again. I mean, so the the that moment. Um, you know, on the aircraft carriers, pretty, pretty big moment. Probably yeah. my my favorite scene. What about you? My favorite scene, which probably is probably one of the iconic scenes as well. My favorite scene and kind of the one that comes right behind it is the scene where they're inverted and uh, with the with the uh, the MIG, <laughs> and uh, he gets the bird, and then uh, Goose takes the Polaroid, which I thought was awesome. Uh, you know, look at the birdie. Um, and then them having that discussion back on the ground when he first realized that Kelly McGillis that he was hitting on the night before is going to be one of his instructors. And uh, 
claim, you know, she says, no one can do that. And he says, yes, we can. And, uh, you know, Val Kilmer's cough line bull was actually ad-libbed by Kilmer in the moment. And all the laughter was natural. So left that in. So, uh, so that whole sequence I think is, is great. We gave him the bird, you know, the finger. I know what the bird is goose. Yeah. So that, what, 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 what were you doing there? International relations. Yeah. yeah. The, um, <laughs> but you know, it always, it's always struck me as odd. And even this time I paid attention again, where she says, you can't, like you say, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. And then when he tells her that they did, she says, so you're the one. Right. Like she knew that that had happened. Well, if you mm-hmm. knew that that had happened, why are you saying that it yeah. can't be done? She's saying that so that no one will try it or that, you know, they could say, well, somebody else did it. So I'm going to do it too. So she's trying to keep them from, you know, I'm sure that was a very dangerous maneuver and dangerous thing to do, which that was her kind of whole character arc was Ma- Maverick was doing things that the Navy said should not be done. And too so risky. too risky. And so she was trying yeah. to keep the risk down where he was going to push past that risk. So, yeah, um, but again, you, but her character would absolutely know who did that. Oh yeah, definitely. He wouldn't be like, "Oh, was that you?" Right. No, they would that that would have circulated yeah. through her channels so quickly after it happened. We had a yeah. pilot do what? Right. What pilot? And I'm sure she wouldn't have announced it to the class either. Like, "Oh, so you're the one." So, like, "Ooh, all eyes on him now." So, uh, all right, we'll do a few trivia things and we'll start to wrap this up. So, we've talked about several things uh, already. I'll just get a few of these. No one had ever buzzed the tower at Miramar before. The Navy pilots who were flying the scenes for the film drew straws to see who would, ab- who would be able to get to do it. It went to Lieutenant Commander Lloyd Bozo Abel. Bozo was his call sign. Uh, Michael Ironside just happened to be at the hangar that day, and the plane flew low enough to where he could actually see into the cockpit as it flew by. He said it was one of the most spectacular things he had ever seen. Oh, wow. Very cool. We didn't talk much about the... Uh, the love scene, quote unquote, in the movie. But a uh, test audience who saw the movie before it was released were annoyed that there was no love scene in the movie. The producers obliged, and five months after the production had wrapped, they summoned Tom Cruise and Kelly McGillis to Chicago to film the infamous elevator scene and the love lovemaking scene. During their time away from the set, McGillis had lost approximately 16 pounds, and Cruise was actually filming The Color of Money with Paul Newman at the time. So his hair was much longer in those two scenes. McGillis's hair was also much darker, which is why she hid it under a ball cap in the elevator scene. Very interesting as well. And uh, one thing that you had told me before we recorded that the real Top Gun school imposes a $5 fine to any (laughs) staff member that quotes the movie. Yep. Any quote at all. Anytime you reference the movie, it's a $5 fine. Yeah. So, which is fantastic because I'm sure they got inundated with people coming in and saying lines such as, I feel the need. the need, the need for speed. For speed. <laughs> <laughs> you um, have any? You have any favorite lines that you would be fine for if you were there? She's lost that love and feeling. <laughs> no, um, she hasn't. Probably, yeah, I hate it when yeah. that happens. <laughs> I would um, feel the need. The need for speed uh, may have incorporated the <laughs> the up high high five swinging all around to the low five. Uh, into a uh, football touchdown celebration around oh, yeah. that same time, around junior high. Um, right. But um, no, nothing else. The only other thing that I had was um, uh, y- you mentioned someone who, who wouldn't be in the, the movie because of uh, uh, the war and military aspects. And I know that uh, Brian Adams was asked to contribute a song to the yep. 
soundtrack and he he felt like it was a war propaganda film mm-hmm. based on reading the script and so he would not do it as well right uh would not contribute anything um but i will say uh take your breath uh take your breath away i do right. not associate with this movie <laughs> at all because of that song to me and there's so many other songs that i do associate with this movie right but um in the late 80s the nba made a uh uh, uh, VCR tape. That's when they first started kind of putting songs with like athletic highlights. Oh yeah, and uh, yeah. I, still, I still have that tape. And it's called NBA Superstars, and they <laughs> matched songs with uh, NBA players. Uh, for example, Charles Barkley, who was kind of crazy, got "I Am the Warrior," <laughs> um, and uh, Magic Johnson got Janet Jackson's "Control" because you know he was a point guard, and he was in control and doing things. Larry mm-hmm. Bird got John Cougar Mellencamp's "I Was Born in a Small Town." Right. And Michael Jordan, his airness got taken breath away. Oh my gosh. Slow motion shots of him flying through the air (laughs) and uh, dunking on on people. And it is a fantastic video montage of things set to that song. And when I hear that song, I watch that tape so many times. (laughs) But that is what I I, uh, associate it with. That tape also still pisses me off to this day. Because being an Atlanta Hawks fan, because the Hawks, like the Braves, were on t- every game was on TV in the 80s. And as a right. kid in West Virginia, there was no professional team. So I would follow the Hawks with uh, Spud Webb Spud and Antoine Webb, Carr, yeah. Cliff Livingston, and Dominique, the human highlight yeah. film, Wilkins. Yeah, yeah. A dunk champion himself, who they gave a Yanni song. <laughs> oh, my God. Yanni. I'm still mad right now. I'm getting mad right now just thinking about that. I'm watching the tape, waiting on Dominique to come up, and he comes up, and I'm like, who the heck is Yanni? What? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, everybody else is matched perfectly to their song. They got uh, the fabulous uh, uh, Thunderbird. I almost said fabulous free, Freebirds. I'm sorry, oh, wrestling. Yeah. Fabulous Thunderbirds with Ain't That Tough Enough. Oh, yeah, tough enough. With all yeah. the short people, Spud Webb, Muggsy yeah. Bogues, Mark yeah. Price, all the little guys getting knocked out. I mean, everything is just matched up perfectly. And then Dominique Wilkins gets Yanni. And I'm just like, of all the... <laughs> And you know, they're showing all his thunderous dunks and stuff. And I'm like, you couldn't get something with a hard driving beat. Right. You got to right. get. Oh, see, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm still, we're getting way off track here. But <laughs> uh, um, I don't associate uh, uh, Take Your Breath Away with, uh, is that, who is, is that Berlin? Berlin? Who is, yeah. Yeah. Um, with, with this movie because of that tape. And I watched that tape so many times. And I have it. Next time you're here, my friend. We will we're break gonna, out the VCR yeah, and I will pop in the NBA superstars and I will enjoy it. I haven't watched that in a long time. Mm-hmm. We will watch that tape. And when Dominique Wilkins comes out, I will have to leave the room and just be like, I can't, I just, I can't even watch it. I'm still mad at the NBA. I digress. Oh man. That's fantastic. Uh, but yeah, let's talk about the soundtrack. That was actually next on my list. So let's, let's, let's go, uh, which uh, take my breath away is my least favorite song in this movie. So uh, the Top Gun soundtrack is one of the most popular soundtracks to date, reaching nine times platinum certification and number one on the Billboard Hot 200 Albums chart for five non-consecutive weeks in the summer and fall of 1986. Harold Meyer, who previously worked with both Bruckheimer and Simpson on Beverly Hills Cop, was sent the script of Top Gun by Bruckheimer before filming began. Giorgio Moroder and Tom Whitlock worked on numerous songs, including the Oscar-winning Take My Breath Away. Kenny Loggins performed two songs on the soundtrack, playing with the boys in the infamous uh, volleyball scene and Danger Zone, 
After the release of Logan's single Danger Zone, sales of the album exploded, selling 7 million in the United States alone. On the re-release of the album in 2000, uh, two songs that had been omitted from the original album was made available. Great Balls of Fire by Jerry Lee Lewis and You've Lost That Love and Feeling by the Righteous Brothers were added. The soundtrack also includes Top Gun Anthem and Memories by Faltermeyer with Steve Stevens also performing on the former. So uh, as you mentioned, Brian Adams, was con- it would, they asked him about a song he did not. This was my favorite. Uh, not my favorite. This I thought was really cool. The band Toto, Feel the Rains Down in Africa was originally uh-huh. meant to record Danger Zone and had also written and recorded a song Only You for the soundtrack. However, there was a dispute between Toto's lawyers and the producer of the film, paving the way for Loggins to record Danger Zone instead and Only You being omitted from the film entirely. So, Oh, wow. I never would have thought Toto singing Danger Zone. So I, I want to hear that release, the Toto cut of Danger Zone. I want to hear, <laughs> hear that version. Yeah, Africa holds a uh, special place in my heart, as does uh, Sailing. Um, oh, Christopher those, Cross. Those two songs. Yeah, yeah. Christopher Cross. Um, because we had to perform those in the junior high uh, music class. Oh, yeah. And it, it was a big deal because it was like the first time the music teacher, Mr. Cump, had ever gotten like, permission from the school to to have money to actually purchase arrangements for more current songs. And by mm-hmm. current songs, they were like, two or three years old at that point. Right, right, but still. <laughs> um, and so we, he got to play those and we got to sing them at um, at like a little after hours parent thing for the, oh, okay. for the music class. The, uh, storms happened to roll through that night and half of the class did not show up, which <laughs> left the half of us who did show up to have to kind of carry the oh, show. Wow. And I cannot sing at all, nor can my buddy <laughs> Kurt. We're probably the two worst singers in the class, but now there's only like 11 of us there mm-hmm. and so i looked at him and i was and, and he looked at me and we basically said well we can't sing good but we're gonna sing loud they gonna hear us <laughs> and so we just gonna take a lot to take me away from you um just um just different songs that we i think it was like four songs that we sang that night mm-hmm. and afterwards the uh parents uh were not pleased that 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 we he and I got up there and just screamed and they couldn't hear their children who probably yeah. could actually. That's fantastic. Yeah. Great story. I'm full of fantastic stories today. Yes, you so are. No, that's good. It's good. All right, let's talk about box office and critical reception. Top Gun was released on May 16th, 1986, a week prior to the Memorial Day weekend, which was considered a gamble at the time. The film quickly became a success and was the highest grossing film of 1986. Australian hit Crocodile Dundee was the second biggest film of the year with Platoon coming in third. It would be six months before its theater count dropped below that of its opening week. It was number one on its first weekend with a gross of over $8 million and went on to a total domestic gross of over $176 million. That is so different from today Yeah, where films and, and 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 things would just would just stay yeah in in in, in you know in the theater for, yeah yeah such a long period of time and uh you know and and same thing with the uh, with with music you know with mm-hmm. albums staying where they would like release right a new single like like every two months and that mm-hmm. album would stay at the top of the chart for a year you know yeah. like 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 Michael Jackson's Thriller did and Janet Jackson's Control just the slow release of 
of material mm-hmm. and and the movies like i said i didn't know a movie theater back then that had more than two screens right um, right and i was in a smaller area than bigger areas there were probably some that had four right but right. now where every theater has 12 <laughs> or 16 um, or 24 it's it's a it's a little it's a little different right but um when there's just two screens and you got one movie occupying one of those screens for six months man uh man that's that's just completely different than mm-hmm. than, than I, I think people who go to the movies now um uh, just have no understanding of that but i also i would wager when it was like that i mean people saw that movie multiple times you know, yeah three four times right um because i know almost every one of those big movies uh we saw multiple times mm-hmm. you know you go back to the you go back to the theater and uh mm-hmm. with someone who hadn't seen it and you're like oh it was good i'll see it again yeah exactly you know, movies movies also didn't co- it didn't cost the you know family of four 135 dollars <laughs> to go to a movie either, so all right, so Rotten Tomatoes has it at 57% on the tomato meter and an 83% audience score. IMDb gave it 6.9 out of 10 with a 50 on Metacritic, which I think is ludicrous. What yeah. was the first the first score you said? You said 57 for... 50, 57 for Rotten Tomatoes and 50 on Metacritic. Right, look, even as much as I hate Tom Cruise, 57 <laughs> and 50% are rough for Top Gun. Yeah. Uh, you know, Wow. I'm definitely in the Rotten Tomatoes audience score of 83%, probably a little bit. I may be bumping to the upper 80s for me. I mean, it's not a perfect movie. It has its <clears throat> its cringe moments and its cheesy moments, but it's still a lot of fun. And it's still one that's very rewatchable. Like I said, it's it's definitely one out like, now that I own it, because actually I went ahead and bought the Blu-ray of it. It's one that I, I can definitely see watching more regularly now that I have it available to watch. So Yeah, it's definitely... Um... I'm, and I'm with you. I don't know that I'm upper 80s, but I'm definitely in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, so regardless, you know, that's a that's a really good score. Uh, I mean, for, for you and I, for a movie that doesn't involve uh, Star Wars or superheroes, that's pretty good. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> right. something that's actually rooted in some kind of reality of physics. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's 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 saying something. But uh, yeah, that's, that's those 50 scores are that's that's just crazy. All right, well, I'm going to wrap this one up. So we won't talk much about reboots and sequels, but we do know the sequel, Maverick, the long-awaited sequel to Top Gun is scheduled to come out later this year. It got pushed back last year because of the pandemic, but uh, I'm looking forward to seeing where they take the story going forward. Yeah, I uh, and I will go see Maverick. I wish it was not named after, <laughs> you know, I mean... Sip of the tongue almost called the first movie, you know, Tom Gunn, but the sequel is <laughs> named after his character. Uh, right. But, uh, you know, it is it is interesting. I, I am curious to see if it's going to be, I mean, it's named Maverick, so I'm assuming it's, it's going to be, I, I'm assuming he's the instructor, he's mm-hmm. teaching some other pilots, and then he's going to end up having to save the day right. himself because right. it's not the focus when you name the movie Maverick, the focus is not on the other pilots in mm-hmm. the in the uh, in the Top Gun program. So, uh, and I wish it was. I wish we just had a new batch of. Uh, I wish he was just going to be the Tom Skerritt role, mm-hmm. and then let the uh, let the let the new kids uh, let Miles Teller. Is, is Miles Teller in this? I think so. Yeah. 
I see. I, I didn't even realize that when I said it. I was just naming a, a younger actor. And I was like, wait a minute. No, I think Miles Teller is in this. Let me let uh, me double check real fast. But when you said his name, I was like, yeah, I think that is right. So let's see. Uh, this is the yeah, part maybe of the podcast sub- where Tim Googles subconsciously, maybe subconsciously. Yeah. I just I I remembered that that he was in there because uh, we'll see. And I'll I'll go uh, I'll go see it. And I may even <clears throat> talk you into. Uh, getting me to drive to Atlanta to go see it with you, sir. Yeah. One of those. I'll come down there. You come up here. All right, man, I'm gonna wrap this one up. It's been a good conversation about Top Gun. Looking forward to more to come. So thanks Ron for being a part of this episode. Appreciate you, brother. All right. Appreciate it as well. I'm gonna go watch uh, Iron Eagle tonight. I'll talk to you later. (laughs) All right. Thanks everybody for listening. We'll catch you next time. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. If you'd like to continue the conversation, we have a few ways for you to do just that. One way is to send us an email to movieviewspodcast at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voice message through the Anchor app. You can find the link to leave a voice message in our episode show notes. Another way to reach us is through our social media pages. Search for 80s Flick Flashback on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, be sure to give us a five-star rating along with a stellar written review. And don't forget to follow us on Apple and Spotify as well. No matter which podcasting platform you're listening to us on, be sure to read the episode show notes to find more fun facts and behind-the-scenes trivia we just weren't able to fit into today's episode. Well, that's all for now. Join us again next time for another 80s flick flashback. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.